Right, good evening everyone. We are now on session three of Freedom in Christ, Choosing to Believe Truth, and we're going to start at the top of page 28 in your manuals. Uh, without faith, we cannot please God. Faith is a crucial issue. We looked at uh, last week the fact that our eternal destiny is secure and that God's love for us doesn't change uh, regardless of what we do or what we don't do. But in terms of our spiritual growth, and our maturity as Christians, that comes down to this question. Are we going to walk by faith in Jesus and in the power of his Holy Spirit? So Hebrews 11 verse 6 says this, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What we do comes from what we believe. We said that last week. Our actions at root are simply a product of what we believe. And therefore, faith becomes the crucial issue. We're saved by faith. Everywhere you look in the Bible, there are stories of faith. And we're told that we need to walk with Jesus as Lord by faith every day. Faith is simply believing what is already true. One little boy described faith as being trying very hard to believe what you know is not true. Whereas actually faith is completely the opposite. Faith is simply believing what is already true. God's role, as we said last week, is to be truth and our responsibility is to believe truth, whether it feels true or not. Now I know that sometimes that is easier to say than it is to believe, but the message of this session is simply that if we want to see our Christian lives transformed, then we need to find out what the truth is, and we need to choose to believe it, whether or not it feels true or not. So whether faith is effective depends on what or whom you believe in. First point, everyone lives and operates by faith. The issue of faith is not that we believe. Everyone believes in something or someone. We all have a way of looking at reality that we believe is true and we make decisions accordingly. When you think about practically Every decision that you make and every action that we take, it demonstrates faith in something. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You just think, last time you drove your car and you came to a green traffic light, you probably drove straight through without slowing down. You probably couldn't see that there was a red light showing on the opposing traffic or not. You didn't know that there was a red light, but by faith you believed that there was a red light, and so you merrily drove through the green light, even possibly speeding up in case it turned and you had to wait. But you couldn't see that there was a red light on the opposite junction. You just believed it by faith. <coughs> and when you think about people who believe there is no God, 
or humans that just kind of believe that we're the same as animals, but we just kind of evolved, you know, a little higher than any other animal. Both of those positions require just as much faith as a religious faith. If you believe there is no God, then you're still exercising faith. It's that just that you're choosing to put your faith in the fact that you believe there is nothing rather than something. But you are still exercising faith. It's just faith in nothing. So the only difference between Christian and non-Christian faith is actually what we believe in. The issue is not faith. The real issue that determines if our faith is going to be effective is what or whom do we put our faith in? What do we believe in? The focus is not whether we have faith or not, but who do we have faith in? What is the object of our faith? I just want to remind you of a, the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal from 1 Kings 18. Many of you, I think, will probably know the story, but the prophets of Baal, Baal was just a false god, and Elijah was God's prophet, and both of them basically gathered all the people together, and they built up a huge bonfire, if you like, and they killed a load of uh, bulls, and they wanted to do a sacrifice to their gods, and the prophets of Baal were going to call down fire from their gods in heaven. And Elijah said, I'll call down fire, you know, from my God in heaven. And whichever one produces fire, they must be the real God. And if you remember the story, the prophets of Baal stood there and they screamed and they pleaded with their gods to send down fire. And when the gods didn't, they slashed themselves and they called and nothing happened. And then Elijah, of course, he gets them to throw water on just to make sure that it's nice and damp. Just <laughs> pours buckets of water on it so it's absolutely dripping and drenched. And then he asks God to call down fire and fire comes from heaven and the whole thing gets burnt up. You can read it in 1 Kings 18. It's a fantastic story. But you see, that if you think it through, the problem for the prophets of Baal was that their gods didn't exist. So they couldn't produce fire from heaven. Only Elijah had a valid faith object. The object of his faith was God, the real, the living God. And so he got his offering burnt up by God. But note, both Elisha and the prophets of Baal, they both had faith. They both genuinely believed that their gods were going to come through for them. Their actions prove that. You don't kind of go out onto a mountaintop with all the people watching for a let's challenge one another whose god can bring down fire competition unless you actually believe that your gods will bring down fire. So the prophets of Baal had faith. They had faith as genuine as Elijah. The problem was that the object of their faith was not real. And so their faith was not worth anything. It's the object of your faith which is important. Which, if you think it through, is why Jesus said that we only need faith as small as a mustard seed to move a mountain. 
Because success doesn't depend on how much faith we have, but in whom do we put that faith? It's God who has the power to move the mountain in the first place. It's the object of our faith. Where are we putting our faith that makes the difference? Jesus Christ is the ultimate faith object. You see, the truth is, the traffic lights do sometimes malfunction. I don't want to worry you next time you're driving your car. (laughs) But sometimes traffic lights do malfunctions. And you know, other faith objects in our lives let us down. With the best will in the world, parents. I'm a parent. I've let all my children down. Not intentionally, but I'm not perfect. Friends let us down. The church will let us down. But the one faith object that won't let us down is Jesus. Because Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He is truth. He can never fail to be all that he says he is. And he can never fail to do all that he has said he will do. Jesus is eternally faithful and the ultimate faith object. If you read what Jesus said to his disciples, he basically said to them, put your faith in me, follow me, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the light, I'm the shepherd. I am the ultimate faith object, you need to put your faith in me. Okay, we're kind of middle-ish page 29 if you're following in the book still. Everyone can grow in faith. How much faith we have is determined by how well we know the one we put our faith in. How much faith we have is determined by how well we know the one we put our faith in. Every one of us can grow in our faith. I kind of thought that might happen. Just for the recorder, the recorder's just falling onto the floor along with the chocolate mouse that Eddie and Annie bought earlier. But I've picked it up now, so we'll carry on. And if you want to grow in your faith, then that's determined by one thing. How well do you know the one whom you've put your faith in? Faith is making that choice to believe what God says is true and living accordingly. See, God has not given us the option of making up what we believe. His role is to be truth. Our role is to believe truth. So there is a limit to the faith that you and I have, but God is not controlling or setting the limit on that faith. You and I set the limit to the faith that we have. Because it's you and I that choose to either believe what he says and who he is, or choose not to. So you and I set the limit for our own faith. Our faith can grow every time that we learn and choose to believe God's truth. And, you know, that can happen as we listen, as we hear a sermon or on a course like this. But, you know, when it really grows is when we act on what God has said. For many people, the first time they really step out and do something beyond their means or beyond their ability, just because God has said it, then it's like at that moment their faith really starts to grow because it's kind of gone out of some academic thought to a reality in something that they have actually done. 
we were talking about Elijah earlier. This is what he said to the people of God in that same incident. He said, how long will you waver between two opinions? <coughs> if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And faith is about making that choice to believe what God says is true and then living accordingly. And of course, if you think that through, not believing in something doesn't make it false. Many people say they don't believe in hell, but I don't think that affects the temperature down there. <laughs> but as we live by faith and we choose to trust and act on what God says, so we get to know him better and better. Just look at it from God's perspective for a moment. Who would you allow to get to know you better? Those who don't believe what you said in the first place, or those who believe what you are saying and then try to live accordingly. Just imagine a picture of a little girl standing on a table and jumping into her dad's arms. And every time the girl jumps, the dad puts her back on the table and then takes another step back and encourages the girl to jump again. The dad knows that he can catch her but he wants the girl to demonstrate that she actually has faith in him. And that faith is growing. Because every time he takes another step back, and she wonders, shall I, shall I jump? There's a moment when she decides, is she going to have the faith to launch herself off the table? Now, can you imagine trying to play that game with a girl who won't even jump when you're standing right in front of her? There's really nowhere that you can go with that one. And it's the same in a way with God. We have to learn to trust him where we are. We have to learn to jump, in a sense, with the things of life and the things that he said to us now. And then, actually, he can kind of trust us with some bigger gaps and some bigger gaps and some bigger gaps. I don't know if you've ever thought about the story of Abraham and Isaac, but have you ever wondered how Abraham could even contemplate sacrificing his son? I mean, he actually packs the boy up, takes him off for a few days' walk, knife in his pocket, <laughs> gets the boys up there. Gosh, Dad, we don't seem to have... Yeah, we're going to uh, sacrifice here. Oh, we don't seem to have an animal. No, we don't, son, do we? Mm. Tricky. Ah. Have you ever just thought what's going through Abraham's mind there? It's, I don't know about you, but the little girl in the jumping scenario, you know, he's about three miles away, I think, at this moment. Abraham, you know, this is a massive one. But, you know, if you read that story through, what I think it shows is that Abraham had learned to trust God and be obedient. That's probably what 40 years wandering in the wilderness <laughs> does for you. And he knew that God was loving and kind, and he knew that, actually, I'm going to trust God and be obedient even though I suspect everything inside of him and all his feelings were crying out, God, this can't be right. I can't be having to sacrifice my son here. Yet Abraham, I'm going to trust. I'm going to believe. I know that it's God. I know that God's going to provide a way to rescue Isaac. And of course, God does in the last minute. Quite a fascinating story. So if you've ever read the Bible and really admired one of the characters there or, or maybe it's somebody that you know uh, and you think gosh a Christian that you know you think oh I'd really like to have faith like them 
The great news is you can have faith. You can have faith just like your hero in the Bible or anybody else that you think has great faith. Because growing in faith is simply a result of the choices that we make. Start with what God has said is true and choose to believe it. If you have a look on page 30, you'll see this little diagram. I'm assuming that must be the dad carrying the little girl at the bottom, although it doesn't look much like the dad. It doesn't look much like a little girl to me, but there you go. Quite an amazing little cartoon there. But just above, can you see where it says truth, belief, behaviour, feelings? So you've got to start with what God has said is true and choose to believe it. And then you let that belief work into how you behave. Let it affect and determine and gather what you do. And finally, it will start to change how you feel about things. Don't start with feelings. Because feelings will lead you all over the place. Feelings will lead you a song and dance. You can't feel your way into good behaviour. But you can believe and behave your way into good feelings. You can't feel your way into good behaviour, but you can believe and behave your way into good feelings. You can start at the top of that four-part downward thing. I don't know what you call it. You can start at the top and you can work down. You can't start at the bottom and work up. You have to start at the top with truth. You have to let the truth change what you believe. You have to let the belief affect your behaviour. And then you have to let your feelings catch up with the other three. Faith grows in difficult times. Most of us can probably think of a time when God didn't do what we wanted him to do. And sometimes we probably just have to accept that God's ways are not our ways. Sometimes we just have to accept that we don't know his plans well enough. To know if even the good things that we think we're asking actually line up with his plan and with his character and with his will. Sometimes I pray, I think my best prayers, and by all intents and purposes and by every manner of, of examination that I can give them, they seem to me to be a perfectly reasonable, God-honouring, completely obvious that God should answer yes. <laughs> and he answers no. And I get frustrated and then when I ask him about it, he, well, are you God or am I God? Let's just get, which one of us is going to be God? Oh, I know, you're God. Okay. So even the most obvious thing to me may be outside of God's will, may be outside of God's plan, and I may not know the answer this side of eternity. See, asking God to do something that's outside of his plan or his character, that's not faith, that's presumption. That's presumption on our part. God, it must be the best thing for you to do. It must be the best thing for you to do this. Or you're not doing that. Oh God, you must be wrong. And when you think it through, the absurdity of it just becomes absurd. And because this faith issue is so important, you know, God is actually committed to helping us develop a real and a living trust in him that goes deep. And therefore, sometimes God will allow us to face situations that either cause us to put our faith in him or to put our faith somewhere else. God will sometimes allow us to go through things. He's not like some grand sugar daddy just trying to protect us from every difficult, nasty, horrible thing out there. He will sometimes allow us to go through things. And the question that he's really asking all the time is, are you going to put your faith in me 
or are you going to put your faith in something or someone else or in yourself? Which way are you going to go? Might be a health scare, might be financial worries, might be an uncertain future. Just remember this, God's role is always to be truth and to declare truth and our responsibility is to believe it and to live accordingly. Last point under this topic is that faith leads to action. Faith leads to action. In the New Testament, the word faith, trust and believe are actually all the same word. I know they're translated differently for us, but they're actually all the same word. And that's worth noting, because in the English language, if you say you believe something, that doesn't quite carry the same weight as if you say you trust something. But faith is not simply agreeing with something, not simply nodding your head, I agree, I agree with that. It's actually a reliance that is demonstrated by action. Faith is a reliance that is demonstrated by action. See, no matter what we say, it's what we do that shows what we really believe. Mm. No matter what we say, it's what we do that shows what we really believe. If you want to know what you really believe, then look at what you actually do. Of course we can make mistakes and there are times we do things, but if, overall, if you want to know what you really believe, then look at what you actually do. James 2. Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. James here is not contradicting the fact that we're saved by grace. What he's talking about is that if you really do believe something, then it will affect what you say and it will affect what you do. The truth is that people don't always live according to what they say they believe but they always live according to what they actually believe. Which means the great news is that every one of us here can become fruitful and mature Christians. Because in order to grow in our faith, we simply have to choose to believe God's truth as he's explained it to us and then put it into action in our lives. There is no one here who cannot resist temptation. No one here who can't get out of hopelessness. No one here who can't leave negative behaviours, unhelpful past experiences behind them and move on. There is no one here who is in Christ who is trapped in those things. You don't need some special anointing from God. You don't need some Christian superstar to fly in in his private jet and lay his hands just on you. You just need to know what is already true of you, and then choose to believe it and act on it. That is the secret, if you like. I just want to do something. If you look at your notes, there are 20 cans of success that you'll see on page 33. Now, I want to ask a question, and I don't want anybody to be embarrassed. Because I'm going to ask if, if anybody is... I'd like to read these out loud and I'd like to get one person after another to do it. But I know that sometimes... I, I would be quite happy doing this, but my Jane would be no good because she's slightly dyslexic and she'd get all the words the wrong way around. 
and so she just feels then silly. So I, I'm not, I'm not, I just don't want anyone to be embarrassed. Is there anyone, if we were going to go round and now read out these one at a time, is there anyone who really doesn't want to do that? Don't be embarrassed, just stick your hand up and it's all fine. Okay, so... Okay, that's fine, Dharma, absolutely fine, no problem. No, that's fine. So look, I'm going to read the first one and then we'll start with Kinga and then we'll go round and we'll read them out together. What? Or read them out one at a time. Why should I say I can't when the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? Why should I laugh when I know that God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? Amen. Why should I fear when the Bible says God has not given me a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and a sound mind? Why should I have faith to fulfill my strength and take action because I know God. Why should I allow Satan's supremacy over my life when he that is in me is greater than he is greater than he that is in the world? Amen. Why should I accept defeat when the Bible says that God always leads me in triumph? Why should I lack wisdom when Christ became wisdom to me from God? And God gives wisdom to me generously when I ask him for it. Why should I be depressed when I can recall to mind God's loving kindness, compassion and faithfulness and have hope? Amen. Why should I worry and fret and cast all my anxiety on Christ who cares for me? Why should I ever be in bondage knowing that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom? Why should I feel condemned when the Bible says I am not condemned because I am in Christ? Why should I feel alone when Jesus walks with me always and he will never leave me nor forsake me? Why should I feel accursed so that I am a victim of bad luck when the Bible says that Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law that I might receive his spirit? Why should I be discontented when I, like Paul, can learn to be content in all my circumstances? Why should I feel worthless when Christ became sin on my behalf, that I might become the righteousness of God in him? Why should I have a persecution complex, knowing that nobody can be against me when God is for me? Why should I be confused <coughs> when God is the author of peace, and he gives me the knowledge through his indwelling spirit. Why should I feel like a failure now when I am a conqueror in all things through Christ? Why should I let the pressures of life bother me when I can take courage knowing that Jesus has overcome the world and its tribulations? 
So uh, that's the end of that one. I mean, uh, those are great, those 20 cans of success, aren't they? Definitely well worth reading those through uh, one every day. Okay, that's session three. I think what we'll do now, we will just have 15 minutes where you can have basically 10 minutes to have a bit of a discussion and a chat and then five minutes grabbing a drink and we'll be back here at 5-2 ready to start the second session. So loo break, drink, discussion, etc. I don't mind if you want to discuss first and then get a drink or get a drink and then discuss. I'm looking at Julian and Gina, which way around would you like to do it?